we've seen some high quality bonds essentially trade at a discount. Uh, the ETF is trading at a discount to reflect that as well. Uh, so if you need to add to fixed income exposure, now is a good time. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In this episode, we'll hear from two ETF experts as they provide an update on the U.S. Federal Reserve intervening in bond markets and what it means for the fixed income side of your portfolio. The episode will feature Kevin Prince, Managing Director, National Director at BMO Global Asset Management, and Alfred Lee, Portfolio Manager and Investment Strategist at BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, this is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. I am the Managing Director and Leader of the Sales Team and Efforts. With me today, I have Alfred Lee, who's our Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager. We're going to have a conversation in regards towards fixed income in the ETF marketplace and provide you some insight towards that. Before we go down that path, let's give you a little quick note. If you're looking for some news and information around exchange-traded funds, we encourage you to go to our public website, bmoetfs.ca. In addition, on there you can find ETF specialist contacts. So if you're looking for some insights or updates regarding towards this call or any other ETF out there, feel free to reach out to any ETF specialist. Last but not least, I'll highlight also on that site, there's some trading tips and some uh, trading ideas. So I encourage you to take a look at bmoetfs.ca. For today's call, we are going to talk about some of the recent changes and understand the price movements in regards towards fixed income ETFs funds, and bonds for that matter. Now, let me start off, Alfred, and ask you a couple of key questions for the marketplace here. Number one, we saw some announcements today from the U.S. Fed itself talking about they're going to be participants in the ETF marketplace. Why is this important, and what does it actually mean for the market? Um, you know, I think it creates a lot of confidence for the market right now because I think, um, you know, in the past we've seen the Fed uh, participate in a, in a bond-buying program uh, but in the past, it's it's been focused exclusively on on government bonds. Uh, this is the first time that they've enacted uh, a bond buying program that has included or pretty much entirely focused on uh, the corporate bond segment of the market as well. And I think it's much needed at this point. You know, I think over the last two weeks, we've seen um, some pretty extreme scenarios in the bond market, both up here in Canada and also the U.S. as well. Uh, initially, you know, in the last two to three weeks, we've seen a lot of wide-scale selling in terms of of uh, all um, you know investors looking to move to cash. And I think, you know, for many different reasons, I think you know there's investors looking to go to cash. There's uh, which is triggered, you know, the market sell off, and then uh, that's triggered uh, people redeeming out of their mutual funds or ETFs or whatever it may be, which leads uh, portfolio managers to have to raise cash in order to raise. Uh, cash for their redemption needs as well. Uh, but also, I think, you know, we've been in a low interest rate environment for a very long time. Um, as a result of that, there's been a lot of leveraged kind of products in, in the um, in, in the market, whether it be hedge funds, leverage strategies, or whatever it may be. So the ultimate effect is that, you know, they're all selling. Uh, they're all going to be seeking cash. So we all, you know, what we're finding right now is just um, uh, 
it's it's basically you know funding funding liquidity by any means necessary right now. Um, so we've seen a lot of uh, selling pressure. Uh, the bond dealers have uh, essentially absorbed uh, all that they could handle uh, on their balance sheets in the last two weeks, as you know, direct the market has essentially gone one direction. Uh, so as a result of that, what we've been seeing is that um, if you are out there trying to sell a bond and, you know, the bond dealing desks are essentially at their capacity in terms of their inventory and their balance sheets, they can't bid on any more bonds. If they do put out a bid, it's going to be well below, you know, the fundamental value of uh, of that specific bond. So that's you know what we're seeing right now. So the Fed's program, um, I think, is going to do a lot in terms of, you know, when they start uh, buying uh, whether it's through the primary market, the secondary market, and even through corporate bond ETFs, uh, that's going to you know buy uh, a lot of the bonds off of the uh, corporate dealing desks and basically unlock a lot of the liquidity that uh, has essentially been frozen for the last two weeks. Yeah, I, I, I was very pleased myself when I saw it this morning. I thought the, it's going to bring some good stability to the marketplace going forward, looking for them to implement it. You know, Alfred, what, maybe we'll dive a little bit deeper into the concerns that hopefully the, the Fed is identifying that you're certainly seeing. Like, can you comment on how individual portfolios, you know, bond portfolios, mutual funds for that matter, and ETFs have all been impacted in this marketplace right now around that market stress? You were talking about the, sa- the selling that's going on in fixed income. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been a negative impact, uh, whether you're holding individual bonds, uh, mutual funds, or, or ETFs. Um, you know, if if the dealers are essentially uh, at their capacity and no longer bidding for bonds, um, you know, there's there's no buyer out there, so the value of that bond is going to fall, uh, you know, below the the fundamental values of where it should be trading. So, you know, we're we're out there um, trying to trade uh, bonds right now, and I think, um, you know, for, even for high quality bonds, they're trading you know well below. Um, you know, what we would we would consider their fundamental value. So um, I think, you know, if you are a buyer at this time, uh, it's actually a good time to get into the bonds, the bond market and take advantage of, of the dislocation that we've been seeing in the market. I mean, uh, you know, one thing that we've been noticing is, is that since March 9th, uh, when the selling started, um, if I ask you, uh, you know, who is the worst performer between, U.S. investment grade, U.S. high yield, and U.S. equities. In a normal market, you would say, um, you know, the worst performer would be the S&P 500, uh, then high yield, and then investment grade. But uh, what we've seen in the last two to three weeks or since March 9th, investment grade bonds have actually been the worst performer. Uh, And the reason why is because people are trying to fund liquidity uh, through the investment grade market at this point. Yeah, so I like what your point is. I mean, if you're seeing a discount in the bonds right now, maybe now is a good time to buy fixed income. I, I think you uh, are highlighting some opportunities set in the marketplace. And, you know, I guess looking back at this, Alfred, because people are thinking about this and relative to maybe um, previous time frames out there, like investors are worried that, you know, ETFs, can they come through the correction? And maybe, maybe you should talk to us briefly about a reference to 2008 and give some examples of that in ETFs marketplace. Yeah, so 2008 was actually a very uh, similar situation. I think a lot of people forgot that um, when you look back in 2008 and you see the U.S. listed high-yield bond ETFs, so both uh, HYG and J&K as well, 
we saw a very similar situation where, you know, the, the price of the ETF disconnected and traded at a discount to its net asset value. And, and a lot of people back then were questioning, um, you know, how effective bond ETFs were. And it was exactly the same situation where uh, a couple of years later, they did more and more studies. And what they found was the price of the ETF was actually a better indication of where the fair value of the underlying assets should be trading. So, you know, keep in mind in, in 2008, the high yield bond market essentially went no bid. So if it's no bid, that's not where uh, buyers are willing to step into the market. So if the ETF is willing or able uh, to dislocate from its net asset value, uh, what it's able to do is essentially drop to a price, trade at a discount, and find that level where buyers are willing to step into the markets, which is, you know, from an economics 101 perspective, uh, that e- equilibrium where buyers and sellers meet is the fair price for the underlying assets. Yeah, I think we all got to recognize it's, it's stressed markets at this time, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, the best thing is either to hold tight or even maybe look at the look at a ways of leveraging the opportunities out there. And I think you're well said about you know the high yield bond market as an example, 2008, because that was probably you know a, a, a you know more of a risky asset class. And to see that the fixed income ETFs traded through that whole period, as you're saying, that's a good sign. I mean, what you are seeing, I think, it's fair to say, is you're seeing liquidity in the ETF space where you may not be seeing liquidity in in other spaces of the marketplace. Is that fair to say, there, Alfred? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, you know, the if the underlying market is no bid and you can't get out of those positions, I mean, there's no liquidity. Um, if the ETF is priced at a discount to its net asset value, uh, that discount, I would say, one is a reflection of where the actual bonds are trading. So when we're putting out bids and we actually get bids in the underlying market, uh, that is, you know, where the ETFs uh, are marked. Uh, but also I would consider, you know, essentially because we've seen one-way selling, um, and we've seen a lot of panic selling in the market, you know, that discount to the net asset value, I would classify as, you know, your discount or your premium, your discount to, uh, to liquidity. So um, that's essentially the price you have to pay, pay uh, in order to get out of the liquid asset class. And that's where, you know, the price of the underlying assets should be trading when the underlying is not trading. Yeah, I think that's a good comment there. I mean, because it's a distressed market, there is going to be a, a liquidity premium or discount in the marketplace at this time, and those investors out there that have to sell, they're going to have to pay a discount or a premium towards, or in, the other ones are earning a premium on it. In this case, maybe look at taking advantage of the premium. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, take, for example, if you are um, in the market to sell a house and, you know, all of a sudden a crisis hits, um, you know, you're not going to get you know, the value you want for a house. Um, but you know, there's going to be a lot of people out there that, you know, uh, put in a bid for you. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunately where, you know, the value of your house is during the recession. So it's a very similar scenario here where, um, you know, the, the market has turned from, um, you know, a buyer's, a seller's market into uh, a buyer's market, which is essentially what we're seeing right now. I think we had a good conversation today, too, around uh, rebalancing, for that matter, and about trying to put cash to work for rebalancing right now purposes and maybe hold tight, if you can, on a fixed thing, and we use your cash to, to do for rebalancing purposes out there. Hey, Alfred, yeah. before you're here, um, maybe give us some insights around preferred shares, too, and flows and spreads in that space, if you can. Sure. I mean, you know, the preferred share space is, um, 
you know, the, the asset class is down like, like uh, other asset classes. You know, what we're seeing right now is uh, I would classify this as you know, similar to 2008, where it is a deleveraging event and uh, there is a global rush for liquidity right now. Um, so, you know, as a result of that, you see major asset classes, whether it's bonds, uh, equities, perhaps commodities, they, they basically had a correlation of one in the last couple of, of weeks. Uh, so preferred shares, you know, obviously they've sold off interest rates uh, and credit, uh, which is a component in terms of pricing preferred shares, um, you know, interest rates, because, uh, you know, 70 to 75% of the Canadian market is rate resets. Lower interest rates means uh, lower dividends uh, for the asset class. But, you know, keep in mind, it's, it's all relative. If something is, you know, if the, if the new environment is 0% interest rates and something is paying you 5%, uh, there should be demand for that product. Um, also, um, from a credit perspective, um, obviously, you know, right now, uh, you know, depending, depending on how long these lockouts last and how how long oil prices stay low for, uh, that's going to have an impact in terms of, you know, the energy component of the preferred share space as well. Uh, the good thing is that if you look at the preferred share space, um, most of it is financials, with the bulk of it being banks, uh, some insurance companies as well. The small energy component, which is, you know, 10, 10 to 15 percent of the portfolio, I would estimate, uh, it tends to be more of the conservative uh, parts of the energy spectrum. So things being like uh, pipelines rather than the energy producers. Um, also, keep in mind with preferred shares, um, we've got a few questions in terms of, you know, how stable are their dividends? Will they cut their dividends? Um, if, if they're going to cut dividends, um, you know, we're going to see dividend cuts in the in the common space first uh, with the banks. Uh, the banks have not cut their dividends in over 100 years. I'd say the insurance companies are pretty safe, too. And with the energy uh, preferred shares, uh, we haven't seen a cut in the common shares yet. Uh, but even if we see a, a cut in the preferred share space, um, keep in mind, you know, all the energy preferred shares, uh, their dividends are cumulative. So once they start paying dividends, dividends again, uh, they ultimately have to be made whole on those on those dividends as a as a whole. Yeah, well said. I mean, because they're a little higher in the credit structure across the board. And then one more thing on the preferred shares: How's the spreads doing in those? So the bid offer spreads on the underlying market has been uh, probably on average about you know 40 to 45 cents throughout the day. Uh, which is, you know, wider than normal, uh, which is expected given that um, even, you know, bid offer spreads on the most liquid asset classes such as equities have widened out. Um, so with preferred shares, um, even though the underlying asset class is trading at a wide level, uh, with ETF, so ZPR being an example, uh, the bid offer spread is only, you know, about one cent to three cents, depending on when you look at it during the day. Um, so the ETF itself is actually uh, trading very tight uh, throughout the day, even through uh, even through all this chaos. And I think what you're really seeing there is that the ETFs are adding liquidity. And I think it's pretty fair to say, and maybe I'll ask you about that, is is it fair to say the ETFs are adding liquidity to the fixed income market right now? Uh, yeah, for sure. I would say, you know, the um, the second level of liquidity. So keep in mind with an ETF, there is, uh, several layers of liquidity. One, there is the underlying fixed income market, which is the primary liquidity market. Uh, but there's also the secondary level of liquidity, which is the trading of the ETF units themselves. Um, so uh, the benefit of having two levels of liquidity is that, you know, if we were to be met with a redemption, um, 
first option of what we would have to do is the portfolio manager would have to raise cash. So I would have to go out there and source liquidity by selling a bond and raising cash. Um, and the second level of liquidity is that uh, if there is a, a redemption in the ETF, uh, the market maker could also hold off in redeeming the ETF as well. And they could let that ETF sit in their own inventory as well. So uh, the ETF has the benefit of using the inventory of the primary market dealers, which is the bond dealers, uh, but also the added inventory of the ETF market makers themselves. And then I guess the market too, the exchange in the market too. So really, you're getting all that is adding liquidity in the overall ETF, overall fixed income marketplace, which is, you know, helping bonds and 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 bond mutual funds and ETFs for that matter in this marketplace. It's just a little confusing right. to understand what's going on. Alfred, any final comments before we close off here? Um, I would say, you know, um, if you don't need to sell um, fixed income at this point. I don't, I would hold off just because, you know, they are trading at a discount and you're essentially, you know, paying that discount uh, that other people, you know, other panic sellers are paying. Um, so if you could hold on, I would definitely hold off. Um, if you do need to sell, um, you know, you're going to find better liquidity through the ETF rather than the underlying market. And I would say if you need to add to fixed income right now, I would say now is probably a good time to add to fixed income uh, given the dislocation in the market, you know, we've seen some high quality bonds essentially trade at a discount. Uh, the ETF is trading at a discount to reflect that as well. Uh, so if you need to add to fixed income exposure, now is a good time to take advantage of those dislocations. Uh, I agree. And of course, knowing that in the marketplace right now that those fixed income sits higher in the credit structure again, probably not a bad place to look at for an opportunity set. Hey, one thing I'll quickly highlight for the, all the users and listeners out there, um, on the BMOETFs.ca website right now, there is a great document that we put together called Views from the Desk. It's a series we're doing during these market times. And this current one we posted up is Views from the Desk, Understanding the Price Movements of Fixed Income ETFs, Funds, and Bonds. Good document will give you full insights and background to what Alpha and I just spoke about on today's call. In addition to that, I'll highlight everybody one more time. If you're looking for some further insights in the marketplace and what's going on, as well as maybe some ideas, some trading tips, please feel free to reach out to the BMO ETF specialists. We have one local person for you right across Canada. Happy to help you out in these times. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you to our panelists for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard some valuable perspectives on the fixed income universe where it's headed, and how investors should be trading in the current environment. We encourage you to explore further questions with your BMO ETF specialist. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon at A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance.
Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.